Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode on Quick Views. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about lots of matches. This is going to be my possibly my longest episode, if not one of the most longest episodes I have ever that I have ever recorded. So we're going to be talking about Afghanistan versus Zimbabwe first test, New Zealand versus England, Women T20, Bavuma, oh yeah, South Africa new cricket news. And PSO, uh, shocking news about PSO, Pakistan Super League, New Zealand versus Australia T20 series from the third T20 to the fifth T20, West Indies versus England, or West Indies versus Sri Lanka, the two T20s, and India versus England fourth test. So these are all what I'm going to be talking about. Might not seem like that, not not seem like too much, but trust me, it's going to take a while to record it, record this episode for the sheer number of matches that I'm going to be talking about. But that is what's upcoming in this episode. So. Please do follow me on Twitter so that you get all of the latest updates about my podcast. And also, please do follow me on YouTube so that you get get other extra content from me. Uh, I actually recorded another segment, not even a segment, another series of episodes of me doing the yo-yo test and talking about its benefits and components of fitness and all of that. It's it's going to be really helpful in cricket to you about cardio, cardiovascular endurance, how to build up stamina and endurance so please do watch that if you're interested it's going to really help you with not just cricket and with also your life combined so that's uh, that is all what i'm going to be talking about in the intro and i'm going to be heading on to the first test between afghanistan and zimbabwe at the end of day one zimbabwe were in the lead they were in the lead by just two runs with sean williams the skipper as well as sick and the raza their two most experienced players were at the crease they, we were expecting, the viewers were expecting Afghanistan to roll out Zimbabwe pretty quickly considering that Zimbabwe doesn't have a too long of a tail, but Sean Williams played amazing innings. So the skipper went on to score 100, 105 of 174. I'm pretty sure he's the highest run scorer for Zimbabwe at a record of 60.34. Second Raza got out early, he scored 43 of 62 at a record of 69.35. Ryan Burrell scored 8 of 22. Regis Chakabwa scored 44 of 71, and he was the second highest run scorer of the day. He had a strike of 61.97. Blessing was Rabani, who was really good with the ball, scored 12 of 17, at a strike of 70.59. So Zimbabwe really scored quick, but they didn't stay long. They got out pretty early on day two, uh, but because of the pace at which they got the runs, they were able to get a big load of runs, even though they didn't bat too long. Visible in performance from Afghanistan was the man who picked up a fifer or six for Amir Hamza. He picked up six wickets and an economy of three. He ended day one picking up four wickets, and so he picked up two more wickets on day two. Yamin Ahmadzai picked up one wicket and an economy of 2.8. Zahir Khan picked up one wicket and an economy of 4.26. And Ibrahim Zadran picked up one wicket and an economy of 6.5. So Afghanistan came out to bat again, and they didn't score much. So Zimbabwe uh, were in the lead by about 150 runs they scored 250 or they were in the lead by 120 120 runs 119 runs so that was a that's a pretty big lead in test cricket and afghanistan came out to bat and they did not do anything they couldn't do anything to really post a good competitive total so zimbabwe's opener uh, ibrahim zadran was the highest run score he scored 76 of 145 at a target of 52.41 and nobody nobody else was able to score uh, too many runs so ibrahim zadran just like his performance in the first innings was the only one who was able to stay consistent and nobody else except Amir Hamza and Asghar Afghan, the skipper, was able to cross double digits. Abdul Malik scored 0 of 3, Munir Ahmad Ahmad scored 1 of 10, Rahmat Shah scored 0 of 6, 
Hashmatullah Shahidi scored 4 of 7. Afsir Zazai, the wicket keeper, scored 0 of 4. Asgar Afghan, the skipper, scored 14 of 15. Abdul Wasi scored 9 of 28. Amir Hamza stayed not out, scoring 21 of 47. Nobody else scored any more runs. And Afghanistan were rolled out for just 135 runs, even if they had Rashid Khan, the best T20 bowler. Mujib, the second best T20 bowler, third, third best T20 bowler. And even if they, uh, any other the, any other really good Afghanistan bowler, they cannot get Zimbabwe all out for just 17 runs and uh, stop them from tra- chasing down the target of 17. So Zimbabwe's best bowler was Donald Tirpano, who picked up three wickets in an economy of 3, 2.42. Sean Williams, the skipper, also picked up one wicket in an economy of 4.67. Blessing Mazarbani was really economical. Uh, it doesn't matter in test cricket, but he was really good. That's how good he bowled. He had an economy of 1.75, at a, and he picked up two wickets. Uh, Victor Nyauchi also picked up three wickets in an economy of 4.29. Ryan Burrow picked up one wicket in an economy of 1.86, so he was economical as well. Zimbabwe, they needed to score 17. They did it with 10 wickets left. They didn't lose any wickets. Kevin Kazoza scored 11 of 12, 12 and Prince Mazuaure scored four, 5 of 8. This match ended pretty quickly, very similar to the uh, first third test between India and England. It's not as bad though. At least it went on until session 3. It's funny that I'm saying that because usually whenever you say a match getting, getting all the way to session 3 of day 2, and ending, you would say that's a pretty shitty test match because it ended it so quickly. And them saying, um, me saying it's good and it shows how the how bad the third, third test between India and, between India and England was. They finished it off at the beginning of session three, but it could have been ended much quicker. Uh, that match I talk about too much now. There's been too much discussion about the pitch, players, team performances, and everything. So let's move on to our second review of today: West Indies versus Sri Lanka first T20. Now we're going to be talking about Australia versus New Zealand, third T20, and then the fourth T20. And third T20 saw the return of the man who has had probably one of the worst form slumps that a man could go through in such a long time with consistent run. Aaron Finch had really bad, bad, I think even the word bad doesn't sum up how bad BBO was for him. And the few T20s, the first and second T20 were pretty bad for him. And the T20s before that against India were also bad for him. So had a pretty bad in the IPL as well so IPL India series BBL and now the first two T20s against New Zealand so for the last four months he hasn't been too good but it's the return of him so he scored 69 runs of 44 balls in the third T20 finally he's come back he has done this before in an ODI series against India Last year, two years back, before I think if you remember, before the 2019 World Cup, Iron Finch was going through a really big form slump. He wasn't able to score runs anywhere in Australia in the first two ODIs. He wasn't able to do anything, but when Australia were 2-0 down in India, they surprisingly came back. A uh, really good comeback from them. They won the ODI series, which was a five-match ODI series, and it saw the Iron Finch coming back to form, and that's what he did just now. Maybe he's going to carry on Australia to win the T20 series against New Zealand, to win 3-2. So he scored 1644 at a target of 156.82, hitting eight fours and two sixes. Matthew Wade scored five of six. Josh Felipe looked really good, scoring 43 of 27 at a target of 159.26. Glenn Maxwell looked even better, scoring 70 of 31 with five sixes and eight fours at a target of 225.81. Marcus Stoinis scored nine of eight and Mitchell Marsh scored six of six. The best bowling performance from New Zealand was Ish Sodi who picked up two wickets at an economy of eight. 
Trent Bolt and Tim Sadi Bolt both picked up one wicket, but went in an economy of nine, well over nine. New Zealand came on to bat, and they, right from the beginning, didn't look too good. Martin Gupta scored 43 of 28. He's also he returned to form in this series. He looked good, but he surprisingly got out at it, and he went at a shot of 153.57. Tim Seifert went, had scored 4 of 4. Kane Williamson missed, uh, somehow missed the delivery and got... Uh, given LBW, he scored 9 out of 6. Devin Conway scored 38 of 27. Dunn Phillips scored 13 out of 10. Jimmy Nisham got a golden duck. Ash Nagar was the one that got Conway, Phillips, Nisham, and Mark Chapman who scored 18 out of 10. Tim Saudi, who scored 5 out of 6. So he got all of these batsmen now, along with Kyle Jameson, who scored 11 of 9. So he picked up a 6 for it, which is really rare in T20 cricket. He was a little more expensive than what would you, what you would usually ex- uh, experience with the T20 bowler picking up six wickets, you would expect them to have an economy of less than six. Most, uh, he had an economy of 7.5, which is not bad at all because he's a spinner after all. Uh, Jai Richardson went at an economy of 11.33, probably one of his worst bowling performances in the past few past few months, actually. Riley Meredith picked up two wickets at an economy of six. Adam Zampa picked up one wicket at an economy of 8.5. Kane Richardson picked up one wicket at an economy of 7.85. And nobody else picked up any wickets. So uh, that was pretty much how the 30-20 went. But one person that I will talk about is Kyle Jameson. And it's I think the the the, the factor that is playing into him, the reason that he suddenly seems so vulnerable in his bowling and also not too good in batting is because of the pressure that he had the price tag put on him in the IPL auction. He got sold for 15 crores to RCB. They put so much faith in him. Faith in him. <laughs> Bad thing from the selectors. But now it's they're actually bringing their heads onto the wall because of that decision with how Kyle Jameson has been bowling. There's no reason why they went for him. No evidence. No, There's no backing at all. I don't know how the selectors thought of him. So many people agreed on. Uh, all the selectors agreed on to pick him. But pretty bad decision there, and now they're probably kicking their heads because of how Kyle Jameson has been performing in T20s. So this is the end of their T20, and now we'll be moving on to the 4th T20. In the 4th T20, Australia won the toss and chose to bat, and Aaron Finch continued his form, scoring 79 of 55 at a share of 143.64. Matthew Reid scored 14 of 10 at a share of 140. Josh Felipe scored 13 of 17. Glenn Maxwell scored 18 of 9. Marcus Stone scored 19 of 13. Trent, uh, Ash Nagar scored 0 of 3. Mitchell Marsh scored 6 of 6. Jai Richardson scored 4 of 7. So a string of low scores with being only person dominating the their innings is Aaron Finch, who scored more than half their runs. Or just, yeah, a little more than half their runs. Australia scored 156 of 6 in their 20 overs. The best bowling performance for New Zealand was Trent Bolt, who picked up two wickets at an economy of 6.75. Mitchell Sander picked up one wicket at an economy of 4. Ish Sodi picked up 3 wickets at an economy of 8. Kyle Jameson went at an economy of 2.25, reinforcing the, the death bowling in him, how uh, bad of a time he's having. Aaron Finch had it, Martin Guptill had it, and now he's having it. So Martin Guptill came back and he didn't score so many runs like he did in the last two T20 scores. He scored 7 off 10. Tim Stafford scored 19 off 28. Kane Williamson scored 8 off 12. Devin Conway scored 17 off 20. Glenn Phillips scored 1 off 3. Jimmy Neesham scored 3 off 5. Mitchell Santner scored 3 off 5. Tim Sadie scored 6 off 4. Kyle Jamison did something with the bat, scoring 30 off 18 with 5 fours. 
Aristotle scored 0 off 2 and Trample scored 6 off 6. The only two batsmen who had a record of, uh, of over 100 was Kyle Jameson and Tim Saudi. Tim Saudi had a record of 150 even though he only batted 4 balls so that's not much consideration and Kyle Jameson was the only one who did something with the bat. New Zealand got rolled out for 106 runs. They lost all their wickets. The best bowling performance from Australia was Kane Richardson who picked up 3 wickets in an economy of 6.71. Ashton Agar picks up two wickets as well in an economy of 2.75. Adam Zampa picked up two wickets in an economy of 6. And Glenn Maxwell picked up one, two wickets in an economy of 4.67. And that is the end of 4 T20 as well. Now we'll be moving on to the 5th T20 between the, the final T20 in the T20 series between Australia and New Zealand. So the match started off with Australia winning the toss and choosing the bat. Australia came out with not so good opening, with Aaron Finch wasting a lot of balls. He had a strike at 112.5. Aaron Finch had a, a scored 36 runs off 32 balls. Josh Felipe opened as well. Matthew Wade came at number 3. Matthew Wade actually did really good at number 3. Felipe scored 2 off 8. He didn't get out to a good start at all. Matthew Wade scored 44 off 29 at a strike of 151.72. Glenn Maxwell scored 1 off 2. Marcus Stoney scored 26 off 26. Sash Nagar scored 6 off 7. Mitchell Marsh scored 10 off 9, Jai Richardson scored 4 off 6, and Kane Richardson scored 2 off 2. But Australia ended their innings at a score of 142 for 8. That is not a good total at all on that pitch. They, did, they needed something miraculous from Ash Nagar again. Uh, he did really good in the 30-20 and uh, really economical bowling in the 40-20. They needed something like that from him or any other bowler, and nobody was able to do that. And Ash Newton, so actually, yeah. New Zealand's best bowling performance was Mark Chapman, who picked up one wicket in an economy of 4.5. And oh, yeah, Ishtoli actually picked up three wickets in an economy of six, way better. Tim Sally picked up two wickets in an economy of 9.5. Mitchell Santner bowled in an economy of 5.25, although picking up no wickets. Trent Bolt picked up two wickets in an economy of 6.5. And Kyle Jameson has been left out of this 50 20. I think New Zealand have felt the impact that he was having in the game. Too expensive, not too, not enough with the bat, not not good enough for T20 right just now. They needed, they need him to improve more. So that's why they left him, which is why they probably won. If they, if he had been bowling, Australia could have got a score of well over 160, maybe who knows. But so New Zealand came out to bat again, and Martin Guptill con- continued his form, scoring 71 off 46 at a share of 140, 154.35. Devon Conway also scored a good amount of runs, scoring 36 off 28 at a record of 128.57. Kane Williamson got another golden duck in this D20 series. It was a, a full delivery from, uh, actually it wasn't too full, it was a bit short from Riley Meredith, but it stayed low, it seemed back in, and was LBW, and he got out. Glenn Phillips scored 34 off 16 at a, at a record of 212.5, and Mark Chapman scored 1 off 2. New Zealand won the match with uh, 7 wickets left and 27 balls left. Pretty much a cruise the victory. The best bowling performance from Australia was Riley Meredith, who picked up two wickets in an economy of 9.75. Jared Richardson picked up one wicket in an economy of 6.33. Adam Zampa was really expensive in an economy of 17.2. And going for 43 runs out in just 2.3, ball, 2.3 overs. And that was it. That was a 50-20 New Zealand do take the series. And that's a victory for them. This is probably their longest streak of winning all the series. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but they won their t- test series against India way before, and they, they, yeah, they didn't go to Australia, yeah, that was after Australia, so you know, New Zealand, India went to New Zealand, and they lost there, and then West Indies went there, and Pakistan went there, and they lost both of them, and they played a T20 series against Pakistan, they won that, 
and then they played this T20 series against Australia, and they have won that. Probably the the second or the, yeah, they're probably the second or third best team going around right now. With after right after India, India is uh, really good in their ODI T20 and Test, and New Zealand is probably not not too far ahead. They could take them on. They will, they're going to be taking them on in the WTC final, and whoever wins that is going to dictate who's a better team. But that is another discussion that I'm going to be talking about towards the end of this episode. So that is the end of the coverage of the 50-20 between Australia and New Zealand. Most of the action in this T20 took place in the second innings, with the first innings completely being nominated by West Indies, who won the toss and chose to bowl first. Sri Lanka's batting innings was completely slow. Nobody was able to score at a strike higher than 120, and their highest run scorer was just Patum Nisanka, who scored 39 of 34. At a strike of 114.71. Nirvan Dekwa, the wicketkeeper, scored 33 of 29. Danushka Gunatilaka scored 4 of 6. Dinesh Chandimal scored 11 of 10. Angelo Matthews, the skipper, scored 5 of 6. Desara Pereira scored 1 of 4. Manindu Hasranga scored 12 of 14. Ashin Mandera scored 10 of 6. Akira Dananjaya, uh, a, a sad day for him, uh, scored 9 of 9. Dushmanta Chemira scored 2 of 2. Sri Lanka rolled out, was rolled out for just 131 runs and lost 9 wickets. The best, uh, best bowling performance from West Indies was Oben McCoy, who picked up 2 wickets in an economy of 4, 6.25. Jason Holder was also economical at, a, at an economy of 4.75. Fabian Allen went in a, an economy of 4, but he only bowled 1 over. Dwayne Bravo went in an economy of 6.5, picking up 1 wicket. Kevin Sinclair, Fidel Edwards also picked 1 wicket each. West Indies, uh, Sri Lanka was... Um, not very good in their batting innings, but their bowling showed some promise of winning. The main reason they're this bad is because I talked I talked about this in my, one of my other episodes. It's because of their domestic cricket and team management, very similar to South Africa. Don't manage their players well, don't have a good domestic tournament to build upon and choose players based on their skill. So West Indies came on to bat and they were looking good with Lendl Simmons scoring 26 off just 15 balls at a record of 173.33. Evan Lewis scored 28 of 10 at a strike rate of 280.00. But that's when entered Akila Dhananjaya, who got Evan Lewis out, and then Chris Gale out, and then Nicholas Puran out. Uh, oh, wait. No, yeah. Yeah, he, he got all three of them in a row, and he was he brought a spark to the match, which, which was completely being dominated by West Indies. So, Karen Pollard and Jason Holder were at the crease. Karen Pollard scored two of... Two off, I think, yeah, two off five balls or two off four balls, and that's when he started the carnage. So, first ball, he hit a six on the leg side, and then uh, Akira Zanenje went a little wider, and then it went straight. It was a, it was, no, it was actually an, a little mid off six, a long off six, a little to, to the offside. The third ball, it was the same thing, straight down, or yeah, straight down. Fourth ball, went to the leg side. Fifth ball, he hit it high in the air, it was a short ball. In six ball, he kind of swept it, slog swept it, and it went for a six. Six sixes against Akira Dananjay, who had a bad day in the field and a good day. Uh, it's kind of like, the, uh, this sums up cricket really, really well. Some days, uh, like test cricket, some days in life, it, you're going to feel bad. You're not going to feel like you're going. You're the worst person in the world. You're not ha- going to have any motivation at all. And other days, you feel like you're the greatest man in the world, which is what Akira Dananjay went through, he went through from being feeling that he's the best bowler, one of the only Sri Lankan bowlers to pick up a hat-trick, and went for 6-6s, six and he's one of the only 
cricket, cricket, well, only the third bowler in international cricketing history to go for six sixes in one over. So, uh, long time coming from Karen Pollard. You know, somebody had to. Jordan Yurad Singh, it happened 14 years ago, and somebody had to do it, and Karen Pollard was able to do it. I was, I thought that Chris Gale would probably be the one to do it. Not, not in international cricket, but I thought he would do it in some place because of the sheer power hitting he has. He did hit 37 runs off one over, but it was there was one bad del- delivery. It was in BBO when he scored 50 runs off just 12 balls. But apart from that, nobody else was able to score. So yeah, he, yeah. And so Karen Pollard was able to hit the sixes, and he actually got out to got out surprisingly. I usually when you when you feel that when you feel a guy hitting six sixes in one over would take over and do completely finish off the innings with not much trouble, but he got out. Jason Jason Holder stayed not out, finishing off the match for them. He scored twenty nine of twenty four. Phoebe and Phoebe Allen also went out for Golden Duck, just like Chris Gale and Nicholas Puran. Dwayne Bravo scored four of seventeen at a record of twenty three point five three. That's actually surprising considering how Dwayne Bravo you actually used to bat in the beginning of his uh. Bidding of T20 franchise cricket, and now he's batting like this. Uh, maybe it didn't matter at that point in time because of what Polar did, but West Indies chased down the total with four wickets left and 41 balls left. The best bowling performance from Sri Lanka was one Indu Hasranga who picked up three wickets and an economy of three. Akila Dananjaya picked up three wickets and an economy of 15.5. Surprisingly, Angel Matthews' skipper had a worse economy of 19. And Nuvan Pradeep had the worst economy of an economy of 36. He went for a sixth first ball. Nobody else was able to pick up any wickets, and that was how West Indies dominated and won the match, won the first T20 of the T20 series between Sri Lanka and West Indies. If the first match in this series was dominated by West Indies, the second match was equally dominated by Sri Lanka. They have ended their nine-match losing streak, possibly one of the longest losing streaks in T20 cricket internationals. They lost so many matches, but they have finally come. They finally came back with a really good win against West Indies. So, match started off with Sri Lanka winning the toss and choosing the bat first. They didn't put up a too competitive total. It was a good enough total for for their bowling, considering their bowling. They didn't have a really good uh, opening. Danushka Gunatilka scored 56 off 42 at a strike rate of 133.3. Pa- Patum Nisanka scored 37 off 23, uh, getting run out to Bain Bravo who did really good in the bowling department, and here in a, com- uh, a strike rate of 160.87, Patum Nasanka. Dinesh Chenamal didn't score much, he scored 3 off 7, Angelo Matthews, the skipper, scored 13 off 15, Ashen Bandera scored 21 off 19, Desara Perera also got run out, scoring 2 off 3, Vanindu Hasranga scored 19 off 11, and Niroshan Dekwa didn't score any runs. So, that was the batting innings from Sri Lanka. Not much going on there at all. Uh, the main reason that Sri Lanka only posted 160, although having a good, really good opening partnership between their two opening openers, is because uh, they wasted too many balls. They didn't score too many runs too quick. They didn't have any power hitters to really score runs in a short amount of time. So that was why they had a score of 164-6. West Indies bowled, but not even bowled. They fielded their way to this low total. To, uh, con- Limiting Sri Lanka's total to 160. Dwayne Bravo picked up two wickets and an economy of 6.25. Obed McCoy scored, picked up one wicket and an economy of 8.5. Jason Holder picked up, picked up one wicket and an economy of 9. Fiddle Edwards didn't pick up any wickets. He was expensive with 9.5 economy. Phoebe Allen was the, by far the most economical. He bowled only two overs though, surprisingly. And he had an economy of 5.5. So the West Indies came out to bat and they lost quick wickets in regular intervals. Nobody was able to put up a good partnership. 
and they ended up losing the match with 43 runs. So Lendl Simmons scored 21 off 19. Evan Lewis scored 6 off 6. Chris Gale scored 16 off 16. Nicholas Porton scored 8 off 15. Jason Holder scored 9 off 5. Dwayne Ravel scored 2 off 4. Kyron Pollard the Skipper scored 13 off 15. Fabian Allen scored 12 off 17. Kevin Sinclair scored 3 off 8. Owen McCoy was the highest run scorer and also the best strike rate. He had a strike rate of 328.57. He scored 23 off just 7 balls. Fiddle Everett scored 1 off 2. Rest of these were rolled out for 117 runs. The best bowling performance from Sri Lanka was Manindu Hasranga, who picked up 3 wickets at an economy of 4.25. Lakshan Sandakan was also actually better. He picked up 3 wickets at an economy of 2.73. I thought Dhananjaya really redeemed himself. He actually did bowl too bad in the first thing, uh, first T20 as well. It was just that he got smacked for the three six sixes. He bowled. He picked up one wicket and an economy of three point two five, which was the second best in their bowling. Nishwanta Chamira picked up two wickets and an economy of six point five. This era better was uh, really expensive in an economy of twenty one. And Danishka Gunendra bowled one over, picked up one wicket and an economy of eight. That was a bowling from Sri Lanka, and that is also the end of the coverage of the second T20 between Sri Lanka and West Indies. As I'm recording, two other women's matches, international matches, are happening right now. India women versus South Africa women one day, and New Zealand women versus England women 50-20. They are going to end after three hours after this recording, so I'm not going to be able to rec- uh, record that. In today's episode, I'm going to be leaving that off to my tomorrow's episode. So I'm only going to be talking about New Zealand women versus England women's second T20. England won the toss and chose to bowl, and they really bowled well, restricting New Zealand to 123.49. Not a good total at all, and they chased it down pretty easily. New Zealand didn't uh, put up a good partnership, which was why they posted such a low total. Sophie Devine, the skipper, scored 8 off 10. Haley Jensen scored 12 off 16. Amy Satterthwaite scored 49 of 30, Edda Sherkata 163.33, Amelia Kerr scored 25 of 22, Edda Sherkata 113.64, Katie Martin scored 0 of 2, Brooke Mary Halliday scored 16 of 20, Maddie Green scored 0 of 3, Jess Kerr scored 0 of, had a golden duck, Kate Broadmoor scored 2 of 6, Lady Kasparek scored 5 of 8, Rosemary Mayer scored 2 of 2. Best bowling performance from England was Freya Davies, who picked up four wickets at an economy of 5.75. Sophie Ecclestone picked up one wicket at an economy of 3.5. Sarah Glenn picked up two wickets at an economy of 9. Nat Sevier scored, picked up one wicket and picked up two wickets at an economy of 6.25. England came on to bat, and it was a. They lost some quick wickets. Uh, the, the, the reason they won was because they had a. Good partnership. So Tasman Beaumont scored 63 of 53. Danny Yat scored 9 of 6. And Nat Sphere had a 0. Of 2 balls, Heather Knight, the skipper, scored 39 of 39. Amy, Amy Jones scored 7 of 5. And Sophie Dunkley stayed not out. And so didn't score any runs though. New Zealand's best bowling performance was Leigh Kasperick, who picked up Bundagate and an economy of 6.5. Rosemary Mayer picked up two wickets and an economy, a little more expensive economy of 7.33. Heli Jensen was actually more economical than Kasperick, picking up Bundagate and an economy of 6, so she was the best bowling performance. Actually, I actually stopped saying that, <laughs> the best bowling performance, because uh, I'm saying it wrong. So, that is in the end of the coverage of the second T20 between New Zealand women versus England women. Before we head into the review of India vs. England Ford test, here is a description of our sponsor, Anchor. Welcome back. This match had so much promise at the beginning of day 3, 
or actually yeah day three and it didn't come true because actually day two actually beginning of day two into session into up until lunch they looked good England looked good of uh posting a comeback they were they picked up really key wickets bundled out in India to a score of 146 for six but that was when everything started let's start from the beginning before we get into all of that England won the toss and chose to bat, and again they lost the match after winning the toss. They continued their losing streak even after winning the toss from the third test, and they didn't do too good with the bat uh, in the first or the second innings. England's openers had no clue against Akshar Patel, both got out to Akshar Patel. Crawley scored 9 of 30, and Sibley scored 2 of 8. Johnny Bristow looked better than the third test. He scored 28 of 67, getting out to Mohamed Siraj. Drew Root scored 5 of 9, also getting out to Mohamed Siraj, who was the only pacer in this test match uh, in, in the India's willing to get a wicket. Ali Pope, uh, Ben Stokes, was the highest run scorer. He scored a half century, really fighting it out. He had a strike of 45.45. Ali Pope looked better than last test. He scored 29 of 87 at a strike of 33.33. He also fought in there. Dan Lawrence was the most comfortable batsman against spin in that batting lineup. He scored 46 of 74, really Pushing, uh, uh, pushing, uh, making pressure into the selectors to choose him instead of Ollie Pope. Ollie Pope has improved anything in this test so far. Dane Lawrence did do uh, something in the Sri Lanka test series and here uh, as well. Ben Folk scored 1 off 12. Down Best scored 3 off 16. Jack Lee scored 7 off 17. James Anderson scored 10 off 15. Surprising that James Anderson had more runs than guys like Joe Rue, Dom Sibley, Zach Crawley. Dom Bess was supposed to be their batting spinner. So even James Anderson is scoring some runs, but some of these guys are not able to score much runs. So Ishan Sharma didn't pick up any wickets, had an economy of 2.56. Siraj was the most expensive, had an economy of 3.21. He did pick up two wickets. He was actually the pacer who bowled the most number of overs in the India's bowling lineup. So with the pacer, not the spinner. So Akshabadeo scored 26 overs. He picked up four wickets, continuing his easy journey into test cricket. He started in Chennai, they had a, picked up a 5-acre haul in the second innings. He came to his home ground in Gujarat, in Ahmedabad. He did really good there in the third test, and the fourth test, he's continuing it, picking up 9 wickets. Ashwin picked up 3 wickets in an economy of 2.37, and Sundar picked up 1 wicket, the sad guy who couldn't score a century. He picked up two wickets, uh, picked up 1 wicket in an economy of 2. India came on to bat, and they lost some... Quick wickets, and they didn't post a good partnership until the bottom order, who was just throwing more and more batting, which is showing more batting capability. So Shubman Gill scored 0 of 3, getting out really early. Rich Sharma scored 49 of 144 at a strike of 34.03. Pujara scored 17 of 66, getting out to Jack Leach for the fourth time in the series and for the last time. Vera Kohli scored, got his second duck in this test series as well. Apparently, it's the first time since 1983 for a 4. An Indian captain to get the two ducks in the test series. Surprisingly, it was a uh, it was a lucky delivery from Ben Stokes. He was actually he deserved it, Ben Stokes, for how well he was bowling. He pitched it short and not too short, a good length delivery, uh, short of good, short of length, and it bounced a little bit more. It seemed away a little, but Rakhul went chase. He started chasing after it, trying to I don't know play any kind of shot and trying to glance it away towards the offside. And he pulled out the bat. He stopped the shot after he went. He went. He played. Yeah, he stopped playing the shot after he went to play the shot, and he poked it there. But it was too late for him to pull it back, and it got 
picked up an edge, and the keeper, Ben Folks, wouldn't drop those kinds of catches, and he caught it. Mahane scored 27 of 45. Rishabh Pant is where we need to do some talking. So, guys like me, uh, I actually, I used to think that uh, in test cricket, you have to play based on conditions, and yeah, you should just not go attacking all the time. I, I didn't like guys like Rinder Sagwag and, and Gilchrist, who would play really attacking shots and didn't care about getting getting out. And I used to think that what if they got out, that wouldn't be good for their teams. I used to think that about Rishabh Pant, and I didn't like him too much. But as I as I saw how he was playing, I realized that there's more about his game than just playing playing his natural way. So if you saw in this test match, this test match was actually pretty different from the way he used to play before. What he does is he basically puts pressure back on the bowler. It's not as if that's his only game. He can do something different like he, like we saw here in this test match, which is why I kind of like him now. He doesn't just play... If you look back in 2018, especially in 2019, when he got out so many times, especially in West Indies, he would just go out and play shots. And it was because many people put pressure on him that they want him to play that way, and that's the only way they want him to play. And then people people started criticizing him for playing that way, and... They're not playing more responsibly, and he tried to play responsibly, and he couldn't in the IPL, in in those ODI series and T20 series against different teams, international teams, and he didn't do good there. Suddenly, in Australia, he picked up his form again, and that's when I realized that this is how he, he proves his responsibility. He puts pressure back on the bowlers, and the bowlers err on their lines because... They cannot just bowl on, on those line, line and lengths on those specific spot again and again because the batsman is hitting them for all over the place like he did against Jack Leach. And Rishabh Pant did that. But the difference in this test match was he really stuck in there. He dug it in there and he defended until it got easy to bat, until the bowler started getting tired. He scooped the ball. It was an edge, but he scooped the ball. James Anderson. Imagine scooping James Anderson for a four when you're in the 90s. If that was me, if, if I was James Anderson, I would have put uh, Rishabh Pant on some kind of therapist. I would have taken, to, taken him for, to a therapist because how crazy that sounds. Because why would anyone do that? But that's how Rishabh Pant plays. He scored one, 101 runs off 118 balls at a strike of 85.59. But one thing I do, it does come back again, which is that he got out the same way. He actually, he was a little, he, Joe Root was a little lucky. He... He, Joru was bowling, he hit it straight back, Joru caught it, and, oh yeah, no, 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 James Anderson was bowling, and he hit it really hard, Joru managed to catch it, and he got out, Rishabh Pant was also upset for, and, uh, scoring more runs, he was looking really good at that point, Rishabh Anderson scored 13 of 32, and Washington Center is where the story gets sad, he scored, he, so he was at 96 at the point, uh, he was batting, actually, but it was at the other end, they put up a really good partnership, it was the second biggest partnership of the day, Akshar Patel scored 43 of 97. He hit it to Sundar, hit it to Madoff. Akshar Patel just took off. And he turned back and he tried to get back. It was, there was no run there. There was no single there. At that point in time, they didn't need that single. He tried to come back. He couldn't come back and he got out. Ishan Sharma came back in the next over. It was the fifth delivery or sixth delivery, I think. And then Ishan Sharma came back in the next over. He got a golden duck from Ben Stokes and he was out. Mohamed Siraj, you can't expect much from him. It's the number 11 batsman. And he got out on his third delivery. It was a full delivery, pitched on fourth stump. He could have driven it had he been a good batsman. And he couldn't. He cleared his front foot. He was parallel. He was perpendicular to the ball. 
His, both his feet, uh, one of his feet was facing towards Miraf and the other was facing to Miran. And he tried to, who knows what kind of what kind of shot that is. It's a classic number 11 dismissal. It hit his thumbs and Ben Stokes was out. Washington has to, had to watch uh, horror in front of him. Three batsmen getting out in a span of four deliveries. And that was it. Uh, century denied for him. Pretty sad. Deserved a century in Australia when he put up a really good partnership with Charlton Takur. And in this match, he scored 96, not out of 174 balls at a strike rate of 55.17. But he scored, like I said, 43 of 97 at a strike rate of 44.33, getting a run out to Johnny Bairstow. Sharma got out with the Ducks. Siraj got out on his third delivery. India scored a total of 365 runs. They were all out. Best bowling performance from England, I would say, was Ben Stokes. He had an economy of 3.22, which was... Actually, it doesn't matter at, the, at this point. For he bowled a... He bowled the most number of overs for England. He's a pacer, man. Jack Leach bowled 27 overs. He, he Even Leach scored, bowled four, over, four balls less. Selection problems for England, which is why they lost this test match. Yeah, he picked up four wickets at an economy of 3.22. Anderson bowled uh, 25 overs at an economy of 1.76. Most economical, the best bowler, the best pace bowler in, this, in these, all these test matches combined. He picked up three wickets, Jack Leach picked up two wickets, and nobody else picked up any wickets. So, that was England's bowling, and they came out to bat. They didn't do good at all, <laughs> again, as usual. Crowley scored, uh, Crowley scored 5 of 16, Sidley scored 3 of 21, Bairstow had a golden duck, Joe Root scored 30 of 72, Ben Stokes scored 2 of 9, Ollie Pope scored 15 of 31, Dan Lawrence was the last wicket to fall, Ben Folk scored 13 of 46, Don Best scored 2 off 6, Jack Lee scored 2 off 31, James Anderson stayed not out, scoring 1 off 1. They were all out for 135 runs, Ashwin picked up a 5 wicket haul, and Akshay Patel picked up a 5 wicket haul. This match is easy for them in India, <laughs> the spinners. So, so the, where did the match go, go wrong? I would say it started, the problem started before the match even started. So the selection problem. So... What are you trying to do? The aim of a test match, when you're playing, are you trying to score many runs? Are you trying to pick up as many wickets as possible? Are trying to catch, what, what are you trying to, what are, how are you preparing for the game? England was thinking that since they were all out for such a low score in the third test, they should pack their entire lineup with batsmen and not care much with bowlers, having three dedicated bowlers, Jack Leach, Dom Best. I don't even know if you can consider Dom Best a cricket player in this match. He bowls so many full tosses. So surprisingly, and he didn't score any more runs as well. They had three, actually two dedicated bowlers, James Anderson and Jack Leach. That was it. They expected Joe Root, Ben Stokes, and Don Best to bowl good. And the only bowlers that did good there was Ben Stokes, James Anderson, and Jack Leach. Ben Stokes was absolutely cooked. It was like we put him in a microwave. So the selection, the, the problem started there. They needed to try something new. Don Best wasn't working in the first test. They saw that. And... Uh, Joe for Archer actually didn't need Joe for Archer at this point. They needed a guy that could bowl really well against right-handers. India's entire top order, except for Sundar and Pant, are all right-handers. Rahane, Rohit, Kohli, Shubman Gil, Chitreshwar Pujara, all of them are right-handers. So you need a leg spinner so that it would really work well. They had Jack Leach, but how much pressure could you put on one bowler to do good or to perform day after day? If you see in India, they have Ashwin and Akshay Patel to bowl really well. Ashwin is a right-hander. But he still picks up those wickets against right-handers in England's batting lineup because he bowls those nine lengths. But the only person in England that, that, that does that was Jack Leach. And they had nobody else. 
Matt Parkinson, people were wanting him to play. He didn't play. Ollie, they, some people wanted Ollie Stone to play. They, he didn't play him. So it was the bowling problem. England had a good chance to build up uh, their dominance. Bundling out India for a score of 146 for 6 is something that most teams are not capable of doing. England were able to do that, were able to do that, but they weren't able to capitalize on that. They gave away the game to Punt and Sundar because they're, all of their bowlers were tired. So the problem went there, started there. England's batting didn't get off to uh, put up, a, didn't put up a good innings total. Uh, in the first innings, they did absolutely terrible. In the second innings, they didn't bowl too well. After they picked up six of the ten wickets, and that was where the, all the match went wrong. India go on to the WTC final against New Zealand in Lords, unless there's some kind of breakout in England again. But that's how it seems now. If if I was if I would just take a random guess about who's going to win in Lords. The only way, the only thing that India is missing right now is Jadeja and Shami. And even Shami, they have Siraj to replace him, but Shami has that really good team. He can sw- kind of swing the ball, has that reverse swing capability. Siraj doesn't didn't improve it too much up until now. He uses he uses the C more, more of line and length, but he didn't improve it too much. But Shami offers a lot more with the ball. But if Shami, Shami comes back and Jadeja comes back. There's nobody. Nobody's going to be capable of stopping India at this point. New Zealand, New Zealand do do good in New Zealand because I don't know those conditions. But when they do come to England, they don't they don't do too good against way more swinging conditions. Usually, in New Zealand there's not late swing. This swing is dedicated to had a bad bowler. But when you bowl in New Zealand, there's there's swing, but it. Yeah, there's just enough swing, not too much. But when you go to Lords, there's a lot of swing. There's a slope and all of that. They don't do too. They never did too good in England. I would back India to win the WCC final and take home the first ever victory of the World Test Championship. But that's how it looks now. The India do move on to number one positions in Test champion in Test rankings again uh, on top of New Zealand. Surprisingly, Rishabh Pant goes down from number thirteen to number fourteen. Yeah, along with actually Rahane doesn't deserve to be on top of Punt. I don't. I think they're going to be updating those rankings, batting rankings. They are. They will probably move up Sundar as well as Punt to much higher positions, probably a plus five or plus six, maybe. But that's how it looks now, and that is the end of the coverage of India versus England fourth Test. Now we head on to the news section of this episode. So we're going to be starting off with South Africa's captaincy problem. So. They started off their new, new, um, uh, it's quotes, I'm putting up quotes because that's what they said. It, it, uh, I shouldn't be making fun of them too much, that's actually mean, because they are trying something, they have come up, come off of a really big corruption scandal, but they started a new, cap, new South African team, they put Quinton de Kock to be the captain, which was really dumb from their, from their, I don't know who decides to make him as captain, from the selectors, because... First of all, Quentin de Kock is the wicketkeeper. He has to focus on his wicketkeeping. And in, and there's his batting. He's an opener. And in test, there's all that. And then now, if you put in captaincy as well, then now there's one batting, two wicketkeeping. And now you're adding a third dimension into his uh, to his uh, responsibility. And that's so hard for him because Quentin de Kock right now is not doing too good with the bat in test or in ODI and T20 for South Africa. They surprisingly did that. And they decided to change it now. Change this now. They said they were going to back him and give him give him a lot of chances. They said it's going to be this is his new captaincy. They're trying him on, 
it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but they they gave him his, this captaincy, but they will definitely back him. They didn't back him too long. And now Bovuma became becomes their first ever black captain for their test team. Bovuma, actually, I like that. I don't know he becomes the captain for the ODI and T20 white ball. They, he becomes his, their first ever black captain. And Dean Elgar becomes the captain for the test team. Really good decision from South Africa's selectors because... I, yeah, there's one more responsibility of Kunta Nakak is that he has to play in Test ODI and T20, and he plays in the IPL and other other T20 leagues. So all of that pressure, there's going to be a lot of it. Not a good decision to put Kunta Nakak, but Dean Elgar is a good decision because he's a Test match batsman. They're putting up a captain who really specializes in that format is a really, really good decision. You don't want to put up a captain who does really good in tests to be the captain of a T20 team. That wouldn't turn out too good. You're going to put up, have a score of 50 off 20 overs. So really good decision there. Hopefully there's a new future. Probably my 10th time saying this in my podcast. But that is the end of the first news of the South Africa's new captaincy. Now we're moving on to the PSL. When I last talked about, talked about PSL, there was uh, four more matches that happened between that and the dedicated post the announcement of the postponed announcement. Yeah, <laughs> postponed announcement of the postponed announcement. What kind of quote is that? So, that when I said that, there was, I was I had to, I still had to talk about four or five T twenties that happened between that, and I was preparing that to, I recorded them and I was thinking of releasing it, but then this struck. I, there's no point in releasing at this point. But PSL has been postponed because of the new uh, COVID cases with the PSL players. I don't know where the breach has been breached, but it has been uh, penetrated by somebody who didn't follow the rules, I guess. Or and that just happens, man. It's the COVID bubble. Somebody's got to take something. Uh, Murphy's Law, I guess. Uh, something's got. If something is going to fail, it's going to fail. But yeah. The, the PSL is postponed now. How long it's postponed? I don't know. It's going to be postponed for at least 14 days. I think that's a really short amount of time. A really big hit to Pakistan cricket. They're already not doing too good with their cricket with losing their... Actually, they did do good against South Africa, but they're they're not doing too good with their... Actually, that's not a good thing to say. They're doing, they're doing, they are doing good, actually. So, that's not a good thing for Pakistan because that's a, a big funding for their cricket board like how the IPL is to BCCI and how the BBL is to Australia cricket how the T20 Blast is to New Zealand cricket how the 100 is to England cricket uh, ECB how the CPL is to West Indies cricket you get basically the idea big thing big loss to Pakistan cricket probably it's going to come back like last time probably 6 months later uh, just like how the IPL uh, happened but that is the end of the news, I guess. Not too big, not too long, but a big news that happened. So, yeah, that is it. That is the end of today's episode as well. So, lots of matches I talked about. I waited a lot of days to record this episode, actually. Uh, I don't know why I did that. I should have released it. Li- I think, yeah, I released my yo-yo test episode uh, uh, videos, which is why uh, I didn't record my po- podcast. It takes a while to edit and do all these things, so... That is the end of the podcast episode. I will come back tomorrow with the review of other matches that are happening, especially with the women's cricket. And I don't talk about it too much because not much is happening. But women's cricket is returning. There's not more cricket to talk about now. Cricket, cricket is returning, not women's cricket. And all cricket is returning now. 
with all the way starting from domestic cricket like Vijay Hazare and uh, Australia Sheffield and all of that to international cricket to test matches, T20s, everything. So I'm going to be talking about other matches that are going to be happening from now. India versus South Africa, England women, 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 England versus New Zealand. And uh, maybe if any other matches are happening in between that time, I'm going to be talking about that and really see my episode tomorrow. That is the end of today's episode, and I'll see you guys tomorrow, so please do follow me on Twitter and subscribe to me on YouTube so that you get other extra content and special updates about notif- and notifications about any new announcements about my podcast. So, uh, goodbye for today, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.